All right, Difference Makers right there. Hey, kicking off next week. Make sure you're here. Make sure you're a part of this upcoming series, Difference Makers. Just as we can begin to continue to lean into missions and be a church that's committed to that uh, as we go and continue to go and make the Lord's name famous in all the nations. My name is Bruce Roberts. I serve as the Next Gen Pastor here. And this morning, we are tying a bow on our current series, Back to Basics. That's what we're doing. So if you're joining us online, thank you for uh, joining us and being part of, of this series. Uh, as we've walked through this series, a lot of things have, have kind of come to mind. <clears throat> but one story when it comes to, when we think about basics that I keep going back to is actually a Kobe Bryant story. All right, a story about the late great NBA player Kobe Bryant. And it's, and it's told by a gentleman by the name of Alan Stein, who was a trainer. And he was, he was able to be part of a, a, of a Nike mini camp where he was invited to be part of that and all the top high school players were coming to be part of this camp and Kobe was the host of it. And he thought, you know what, I'm not going to get this close to Kobe probably again in my life. So let me just take advantage of an opportunity maybe just to get some time with him. So he approached Kobe and asked him, hey, can I, can I watch a personal workout of yours, a private workout of yours? Can I just watch and see what you do? And Kobe said, sure. He said, meet me at 4. That was 4 a.m. <laughs> so he thought, hey, since he's going to let me do this, why not take advantage of an opportunity maybe to even impress Kobe? So he set his alarm for 3 o'clock, 3 a.m. And he was at the gym by 3.30 a.m. And he said when he arrived, the light was already on. He could hear the ball bouncing, the sneakers squeaking. And when he walks into the gym, Kobe's already in a full sweat. He's already been working out. So he didn't want to disturb anything, so he just sat back and he watched. He watched Kobe. He said this. For the next 45 minutes, he watched Kobe do the most basic things of basketball. He said he was doing the things that he regularly would teach middle schoolers. Kobe got up to work out at 4 a.m. earlier than that to work on stuff that middle schoolers work on. And that's when... He said he learned one of the most profound lessons in his life. One of, one of, the, one of the most life-changing lessons of his life. And he said this, he says, just because something is basic, it doesn't mean it's easy. Just because something is basic, it doesn't mean it's easy. You know, we can often think when we hear that word basic, we can think simple. And that, sure, it's simple when we, when we were exploring these topics of what is a man, what is a woman, we would think that these are very simple concepts. These are very simple things. These are very simple things that we can see of God's application of his design. They are very simple. But when it comes to the expression of these things, being a man, being a woman, being a husband, being a wife, what, raising kids, being a child, being raised... When it comes to intimacy, all of these things, working that out in our lives, that's hard. That's difficult. 
That's why we do a series like this. That's why we walk through things like this is because, yes, as basic as they are, we need to get back to them. We need to get back to them. There's nothing more primary than who God is and, and how he has designed us to function and be. There's nothing more essential than that. There's nothing more foundational than that. We should get back to the basics. But listen, just because it's basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. We live in a fallen and broken world, and we are fallen and broken, sinful people trying to live out these things that God, a good God, a holy God, has called us to live out. And it's hard. It's difficult. Alan Stein, the trainer that was able to watch Kobe, he made this statement after the workout. He says that we live in a world that tells us it's okay to skip steps, that tells us to circumvent the process. It's all but, it all but pushes us to chase what's hot, what's flashy, what's sexy. And we think that we can skip the basics. But here's the deal, and this was his conclusion. The basics work. They always have and they always will. But what do we do? <laughs> what do we do when the basics don't work in our lives? What happens when we, like, we, we hear and we see God's good design in all of these things? We know what a good marriage looks like, but yet we've had one that's failed. We know what it looks like and what we're trying to produce in our kids, but it doesn't seem to be working. What do you do when these things aren't working? When life doesn't go as planned, what do you do? And that's our dilemma. Because this is where we live most of our lives. We live our lives in the basics. We don't graduate from them. We don't get to move on from them. This is where life is lived. If you're in this room, you're a single, you're married, you're a man, you're a woman, you're a male, you're a female, you're a child, you're like, that's all, that's where we live. That's where we live. So what happens when things don't go right? When you're single and you want to be married and you see marriage lifted up and you're thinking in your heart, I want that. God, give me that. Where is she? Where is he? I want that. What if you're the single person in the room right now and you're thinking, like, I'm good being single. I'm good being single, and I mean, I love what the Lord's doing in my life, and, but everyone keeps looking at me like I'm strange, that I don't want this. What if you're married and it's tough right now? Your marriage is, it's hard. It didn't look like the Hallmark movie. It's not coming out like the romantic comedy. It's like, it's, it's been a lot of work that you were not expecting? What if you're a believer and you're married to someone who doesn't believe the same things you believe? And you feel like your home is, is being literally just pulled into different directions and how that might impact you, your children maybe. That's where a lot of us are living our lives. What if you're on your second marriage? Maybe your third. 
What if you brought kids from one of those marriages and he brought kids from one of those marriages and now you're trying to make this thing work? You're trying to make it work. And it's hard. I have good news for you. The gospel exists because conflict does. The, the gospel is very, very relevant in our world. It is very relatable to our world because it exists because of these situations. It exists because we live in a broken world. And I want you to understand something is that God, he has taken care of the most basic thing in our lives. And that is our relationship with him. There's nothing more basic than God. There's nothing more foundational than God. He has gone through great lengths to fix the most primary thing. He's fixed the vertical in our lives. A holy God has made sinners through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He's made us friends again. Through faith, he has made us family. He has done the hardest thing for us. He's done all of the heavy lifting. And because he's done this and he's fixed this, we can navigate this. We can navigate this. Is it going to be hard? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Talking is hard. <laughs> right? But as Paul walks through all of these circumstances and situations and life stages that I just kind of laid out there, um, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, he's going to, he's going to like lay out a principle. He's going to lay out a principle, and I just want this to wash over you. And this is the principle that I want you to see this morning, is that we can trust a faithful and sovereign God regardless of our stage of life and circumstances. We can trust a faithful and sovereign God. You've already seen that with Leanne's life through watching that video. That's, all, that's what we've been singing about. But even when I say that, trust a sovereign and faithful God, it sounds very basic. But I'm telling you, that's our struggle. That's what makes it very hard. And Adam and Eve struggled with it, and we struggle with it. We struggle with trusting God's good design for us. Do we trust what God has for us? Now in Corinth, a little context here is that this is a first century church, first century Christians coming to faith. All of this is new. All of this is new to them. And although there's not a lot of things that I would say are admirable about what's going on in Corinth and with the church and Paul's hitting them pretty hard because there's a lot of dysfunction going on. This is one thing that I'm, I can appreciate about the Corinthian church. They did have an understanding that when Christ enters your life, when you become a Christian, when you begin to follow Jesus, something has to change. Change is, is an essential part of following Christ. But what Paul is going to tell them is like, hey, pump the brakes a little bit. Pump, pump the brakes a little bit is that 
the changes or the drastic changes that you think following Christ might mean in your relationships are, are not the changes that you need to do right now. Now, questions on what a repentant life looks like in your current situation, that's not a bad question. It's not a bad question. What does it look like to follow Jesus, to turn from sin, to follow Christ in my current and present situation, in my circumstances? It's not a bad question at all. You remember I'm reminded of when in the Gospels when John the Baptist, he's preaching, he's preparing the way for Christ, he's, he's serving as the forerunner for him, and he's, he's preparing the way. And he's, he's doing a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. It's a picture of what Christ will do and what he will fulfill. And people, all kinds of people from the crowd, they were coming to him, right? They were coming to him at the Jordan. And they're, they begin to ask him certain questions. What, what, what needs to happen? And he says, and, the, and this is in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. He says, and the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? All right, this is repentance. This is forgiveness of sin. All right, we're, we're, we're doing what, what ought we do now? And he said, he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. You know what you ought to do? You ought to just love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Number one, eyes off of yourself. Love your neighbor. This is tax collectors. Oh, man. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? You know what he said? Stop being a tax collector. Stop being a, a slimy. T- Stop doing Leave it. No, that's not what he says. He says, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Honor the Lord in your current state. You're a tax collector? Great. Nothing inherently evil about that. Honor the Lord in your role. Honor the Lord in your vocation. Then he goes to a soldier. Soldiers are coming up to him and said, hey, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Quit the military? Stop serving? No. No, no. Honor the Lord in your current situation and circumstance. And that same advice, remain, be content, is is the counsel of Paul to the church at Corinth. So when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, if you have a Bible, you can make your way there. He starts off and he he lays out the principle and he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule for all the churches. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. God did not mess up on when and where and how he saved you, and what circumstances in which he saved you and he called you to himself. He did not mess up. All of this is happening under the sovereign rule of God, his sovereign gaze, him working at his will in all of the, in, in all of the earth. And where he's called you and what he's called you in, as good as it may be, as bad as it might be, as easy as it may be or as difficult as it might be, he did not mess up. He called you when and where he wanted to do that. 
And in all these circumstances that he's going to line out here, when he's looking at all these um, stages of life that he's teased out here, he's going to give the same response. The same response. And it's the same for us as well. So look at chapter 7, verses 8 through 9. He's talking to unmarried people. And he says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say this is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, so they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay? So he's saying, hey, remain married. But if you can't, okay, it's not sinful. Get married. But here's the deal. It's like when, you, when you're first becoming a Christian, you're trying to work out your calling. You're trying, to, you're trying to figure some things out. Sometimes it's not the greatest thing to bring another human being into that, uh, that scenario. Especially with a lifetime commitment. But marriage is good. And more, more, you know, better than you to be in a sinful relationship, you ought to make that right in marriage. So remain, he says there in 710, hey, to the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried. Again, remain. 720, this is concerning believers who thought, hey, should I get circumcised now? Should, what, what should I do? Like, is there, is there some external thing that I need to do now that I'm a believer in Christ? What does he tell them? Each one should remain. Remain in the condition which, which you're called. Concerning bond servants or slaves during this time. He said, so brothers, in whatever condition he, each one was called, there let him, guess, hey, remain. Remain. And lastly, concerning widows. 739, it says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whomever she wishes, only, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. I think it's helpful that when we look at what it means to remain, what it me means to be remain is to be content where God has you. That that these relationships in your life that, that, are, that are not there or that are there are, are not the things that are fulfilling your life. First and foremost, the, the primary relationship of your God, this vertical relationship with God is, that's, that's where the fulfillment of your, of your soul and your heart's desire must come from. That's where we should be content. Remain, be content where you are, honor the Lord where he has you. You know, it's interesting, like in seven, when you just, when you walk through all of these, these relational things. And there's nothing, I mean, there are a few things that tease out discontentment in your life more than singleness and marriage. I mean, there are fewer things. You might throw a job in there or something like that. But really, when it comes to these aspects of life, there are fewer things that, that, that breed discontentment. I was single for a long time. A long time. I did not get married until I was 38. All right? You got some years like, oh, man, that was a long time. <laughs> I didn't get married until I was 38 years old. And I knew that I did not have the gift of celibacy and to be single. I knew that. I had a desire to be married. And here I was in my life, I was living my life, I was doing my thing, and 
ultimately, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I was even content. I think that for the most part, what I was doing is I was just trusting the law of averages, right? I mean, for crying out loud, eventually you get married, right? Eventually it happens. You know what? Surely you're going to go to college and stay there for five years. You're going to meet someone. There's a new crop of girls that come in every year. Like you're going to meet somebody, right, Bruce? Nope. I didn't. I didn't, didn't meet one. And then I go off, I, I go to seminary, spend five years on a seminary campus. People coming in and out. I've moved. I'm in a bigger city now. Surely, surely she's there. Right? Nope. She's not. And after a while, you know, you're like, you know, like, is there something wrong? What's going on here, God? Like, you know my desire. You know my desire, but there I was, I was single. And what did I do? I began to just to lean into what I knew. I knew the Lord had called me to ministry. I knew that, I knew that the Lord was, was working that call out in my life, and I was doing everything I can to sharpen that, to, to put myself in a position to be the most effective minister, pastor, person I could be. And this was the thing that I, I finally that finally clicked in my brain is that whoever she is or wherever she might be, hey, when whatever work I'm doing right now or the work that the Lord is doing for in me, it's going to put me in the best position to be what I need to be for her. And that's, and that, listen, 38 years is a long time for that lesson. But you know what, what I did one day? I got up one morning, as I usually do, brushed my teeth, put on my clothes, headed to a middle school to go talk to an FCA group, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was going to share the gospel with some 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. It's part of my, what I do. It's what I do. And I'm in that classroom, and I show up to do what I do. And in the back of the room is this cute little blonde hair lady. I'm like, who is she? Who is that? I've been to that school many times. I hadn't seen her before. And here's the deal. I did what every normal person does after that. I got on social media and I stalked her. <laughs> you know what every normal person does. And now people call it stalking. It's just what she calls it. But I call it a scouting report. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just trying to get intel. All right. Before I, before I engage in a conversation, I just want to see, is she crazy or not? I don't know. I just, I just want to figure this out. But listen, I'm living my life, remaining as I am, trying to be content, doing what I know that God has called me to be and doing what he's called me to do. And I'll let this faithful and sovereign God work the details out. And he did. And he did. Married now for 10 years, have two awesome kids. And listen, I want to be very clear on this. She changed my life. But if God wouldn't have done that, I'm not owed that. I don't deserve that. If he wouldn't have done that, listen, 
I pray to God that I would have understood that he is enough. It doesn't matter if he delivered on that or not, that he is enough for me. So I had to learn how to trust a faithful and sovereign God, regardless of my situation. And I, and I learned a lot of different things that, that Paul is communicating here in, in, in chapter 7, verses 32. He's, he wanted these single people to remain single because he wanted them free from anxieties. <laughs> The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Say, hey, you, if you're married, you have more layers. They're good, but you have more layers. So when he talks about anxiety, he's not talking about worry necessarily in that way. He's talking about a singular focus. Married people, single people, you can honor the Lord. You can honor the Lord. But the reality is that, that some have more layers than others. And that's just a reality. But we all can live in such a way that honors the Lord. But no matter what, whether you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed, single, you're in a hard marriage, it does, no matter what your circumstances are, Paul has kind of a sobering word for us, a sobering word here. And this is, and it's simply this, is that regardless, regardless of your stage of life and circumstances, whether they're good or they're bad, they're all temporary. They're all temporary. Look what he says here in 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. I'm glad you can just say it matter-of-factly, okay? This is what I mean. The appointed time has grown very short from now on for those who have wives to live as though they had none and those who mourn as though they were not mourning and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing and those who buy as though they had no goods and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings. Why? For the present form of this world is passing away. All of these things are important, but they are not ultimate. They're all important, but they're not ultimate. Marriage is temporary. It's temporary. Your singleness, it's temporary. All of it's temporary. So in your singleness, whether you embrace it in this present time or not, it's temporary. Whether you're married and it's the sweetest years of your life or the hardest years of your life, it's temporary. If you, if you, you kept your vow and it was death to his part and you're sitting out there and and you had to bury your spouse. As hard as that is, and I can't imagine it, it's temporary. And I don't say that, and Paul does not say that, because he wants to minimize your situation. It's not to minimize anything. It's, it's to give its proper perspective. It's to give the proper perspective on it. So no matter what your highest highs might be, no matter what your lowest lows may be, those are, those are not ultimate. They're all, they're all temporary. They're all passing away. Because primarily, you were made for God. You were made for Him. That's who you were made for. That's who you were made for. 
So you should never let any temporary commitment in your life, your spouse, your children, your job, don't let anything get in the way or be put above your eternal service to Christ. Don't let any of those things get in the way from what God himself has called you to be and for you to do. And you don't, you don't have to get out of a situation to be who Christ has made you to be. You don't have to put yourself in a situation to be who Christ has made you to be. Those external things don't do that. You can remain, be faithful. So don't use whatever stage of life that God has you in. Don't use that as an excuse not to give yourself fully to him. If you have the layers of marriage, give yourself fully to him as you display the gospel in marriage. If you're single, give yourselves fully to him as you don't have those layers and you can run hard and you don't have to check off these things. You, don't, you only have to consider yourself. The circumstances of your life are, they're God-given opportunities for you to display who he is. So I, I just want to give you some, some basic truths that, that can hold you in any circumstance. And Paul really actually outlines this at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn it, it's in chapter 1. These are some basic, basic truths that can hold you that actually, when you look at this, this overarching point of trusting a faithful and sovereign God, right, this, this is going to be what puts the wind in the sails for, in order for you to do that, for you to understand why you can do that, that God has not messed up your life. And listen, sometimes we have made Foolish decisions, we have done stuff. We have deviated from God's design, which has led to dysfunction. We have made a lot of choices. But I want you to understand something. Your choices in your life and what you're doing is not a deviation from what God is doing over your life. He can use all of it. He does use all of it. It may not be a straight line to you, but it's a straight line to him. And I, I'm, I want you to see what his main goal for your life is. That's why your life circumstances and your life stages doesn't matter. Look at what some of his main goals. One in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Look at what he says. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. That in Christ you are sanctified. Positionally you are set apart to God. Progressively he is setting you apart to him. And his main goal for your life if you want to know what God is after, if you want to know what he cares about, what he wants more than anything in your life is that you would look like him. He is, he is banging on your life. He is sculpting your life. He is shaping you so that you can look like him. You were made for him. That's what he's after. What is God's will for your life? Your sanctification. How serious, Bruce, how serious is God about my sanctification? He sent his son to the cross to be crushed for the sin that was the barrier between you and him. So that through Christ, through him, 
you turning from your sin, turning to Christ, you, you embracing the design that he has for your life, you can be like him. You can be with him. Your sanctification. Can he use your singleness in your sanctification? Absolutely. Can he use your spouse? Yes, he can. What about a good one? Absolutely. What about a bad one? Absolutely. Can he use grief of losing a spouse to shape me? Yeah, because he's, he's, his greater work isn't what he's just doing in your circumstances around you. His greatest work is what he's doing inside of you. Inside of you. That's it. That's the big picture. So no matter what your life stage, where you are, don't merely just try to like, ah, I just want to get through these years of singleness. I just want to get through it. Don't just go through stuff. Grow through it. And can I be honest? Some of us were repeating a lot of lessons because our whole goal was just to get through something. Our whole goal was just to let enough time pass so we can get on the other side of it. But as time passed, you never grew. What God was wanting to do in your life, what he was trying to fashion in your life, you, you, were, trying to, you were trying to shortcut. You were trying to circumvent the process. And God says, no, I can't let you circumvent the process. <laughs> I'm too committed to you. That's what faithfulness is. So don't go through your current circumstances. Grow through them, regardless of where you are. God's investing in your heart change because it benefits any status. <laughs> Marital, job, he's working on you because it benefits anything that he has, where he might sovereignly place you. That's his work. What are you doing, God? Don't look out here. Look in here. God, what do, you, what do you want from me? What are you teasing out of my life? You'll see in 1 Corinthians 1, 4 is that you have received grace. That even though you're in a tough spot or you're, you're having to struggle and wrestle through some stuff, he has not left you by yourself. That his favor is upon you. That you don't deserve, that's, that's all of yours through Christ. That he is the means and the vehicle of God's grace upon your life. That grace isn't just something that you receive and you give, but it's also, it's the fuel, it's the enabler. So that when people say, hey, hey, remain, there's grace for you to remain. It's an enabler. It's an enabler. In three, what does he say? He's, he talks about in seven, that so that you are not lacking in any gifts. You're not lacking anything. God has sufficiently equipped you with everything that you need to live. You know why he's sufficiently equipped you for everything that you need? Because he's given you himself. He's given you himself. It's all you need. Because he's given you himself in verse 8, he will sustain you to the end. Christian, can I encourage you? You are secure in Christ. 
you're not secure in your relationships, the one you don't have, the one that you want, you're secure in Christ. He's laying out all of these identity pieces, who we are, because this is what he cares. He cares more about who you are. He'll accomplish the, he'll accomplish the things through your life. He's the, he, no, no, the main thing is your sanctification. And what we've sang about and what we have seen is that God is faithful. Verse 9. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's not messed up. He is with you. He is for you. He cannot deny himself. So wherever you are in life this morning, remain, be content. Give yourselves fully to the Lord. Your circumstances are not in the way of you doing that. God will meet you there. So what is our response? We'll just book in it. I had you in the front of 1 Corinthians. Let me take you, take you to the back of it in verse 15 or chapter 15, verse 58. He says, therefore, dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You are not spinning your wheels. You're not spinning your wheels. Stand firm. You are immovable because you serve and you're resting in, abiding in, remaining in an immovable God. A God who is for you. A God who is faithful. He's a, he's a firm foundation in our lives. And we're about to sing, and I just want to just read these lyrics. Are, do you have joy in the midst of the chaos in your life? Do you have peace that makes no sense? Do you believe that you won't go under because you're not held by your own strength? Because I've built my life on Jesus. He's never let me down. Listen, that is true. He has never let you down. But Bruce, I, he has never let you down. He's after something greater in you. So why would he fail now? The resounding response is he won't. He won't fail you. We can trust the faithful and sovereign God regardless of our life stages. Trust Him. Trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that we are, we are not left alone. God, that in Christ we have a firm foundation. A firm foundation. God, that you will not let us fail. God, no matter where we find our situations, our home life, God, you, you will be faithful to us. You're a great help to us, God. So, Lord, help us not to be held up by our, our own strength, but, God, that we would trust in you, knowing, God, that you have not messed up our lives and that you are doing your greatest work not around us, but in us. Help us to stand firm. Let's pray these things in Christ's name.